Well, what's going on in this text? Like I said, it's a text that's all about warning. And we see it in the first uh, verses, 15 through 20 especially. If you look at verse 15 again, look what it starts with. Watch out, Jesus says, for false prophets. Not true prophets. Watch out for false prophets. And what's a prophet? A prophet is a proclaimer. Now, we often think of the term prophet as uh, foretelling the future. And certainly that's locked up in that word prophet. But the word prophet is also used throughout the New Testament to simply mean somebody that is forthtelling, that is proclaiming, that is seeking to teach. And Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, false teachers. Then he says, they will come to you in sheep's clothing. They will come to you in sheep's clothing. What's, what's that mean? Well, the sheep was the follower of the shepherd, and Jesus is the great shepherd. And so when Jesus is saying they will come in sheep's clothing, he's basically saying they'll look like sheep. They'll look like true followers of God. That's what they'll look like. Uh, they will carry Bibles, and they will have seminary degrees, and they basically should fit right in with all of uh, the rest of everyone who is here. And then Jesus says, but they are not sheep. Look at the term he uses. They are ferocious wolves. Boy, that's a contrast. Sheep versus ferocious wolves. What the false prophets teach and who they are down inside will give evidence they're not sheep at all. This is little red riding hood, everybody. This is putting on a guise to be one of us and not be of us at all. And there's one thing I know about sheep and there's one thing I know about wolves. Sheep don't stand a chance, do they? Uh, my brother-in-law lives in the, the foothills of uh, Northern California, and Blair was telling us uh, not very long ago that he doesn't have any chickens left. And I said, why don't you have any chickens left? And he says, because the fox got into the chicken shed. I go, really? Tell me about that. He said, well, I, I tried to close up every possible way, but the fox got in, and chickens don't stand a chance against the fox. He said, what cued me in that something was wrong is I got up this one morning, and there was a rooster standing on our porch, and the rooster never comes on our porch. And when I walked out and I saw the rooster there, I thought, what's going on? And then I went to the shed, and I saw that all the chickens were destroyed. Pretty smart rooster. got out of there and got up onto the porch where the man with the gun lives. <laughs> he could protect them. You're going to think that these people sound pretty good, but there's all sorts of flaws. Sheep are helpless next to a ferocious wolf. So he calls them prophets. That means something in which they speak has to be carefully looked at because it's not for our good. It's not for our good. 
And this has happened in every age of the church. It's happened in every generation of the church. I mean, really, really, when you think about it, King Herod in the birth narratives, he looks like a pretty good guy. King Herod had, had created the great temple of, of Israel so that the Jewish people could worship. Uh, he he'd had it built. And when the wise men would come into Jerusalem having followed a star, uh, and Herod had his, his brightest theologians do some research as to whether a king had been born, and they said, yes, and, and it's probably in Bethlehem, and the star was heading to Bethlehem. And as the wise men and the theologians were advising the seemingly good king, the real king came out, right? He even says to the wise men, when you, when you find the child, now let me know so that I can come and worship him too. But he wouldn't worship, would he? He would send a frontal attack to destroy every male child under the age of two. This is what we call a ferocious wolf. Pharisees, seemingly good on the outside, but inside, according to Jesus, not. The Judaizers, Paul had horrendous time with the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were a group of Jewish people that came to believe in Jesus, but also said you needed to obey the whole Jewish law. And a lot of Paul's fights are trying to convince them that you need nothing else but Jesus Christ to be saved, right? What are some of the lies that we need to be careful of in our culture as sheep, right? Because aren't we followers of Jesus Christ, so we're sheep. What are some of the lies we've got to be careful of? What do we need to give attention to? Uh, several things. I don't have a lot of time for this, but number one is sometimes you'll hear, quote, Christian teachers that just say God's love is all that you need. It's always enough. You say, well, Lon, isn't that right? Well, it's right, but it's not completely right. Because it still requires to be a follower of Christ that you come to grips with the own depravity of your own soul and that you cry out to God, forgive me for my sins. And the love of God is great enough to forgive us. And the love of God is great enough to die on the cross for us. But to just think of God as a beneficent grandfather who is always saying to all the children, oh, that's okay. I love you anyway. No, no. He's a God of love. And he's a God of justice. And sometimes the justice side is left out. Second, the opposite. Sometimes the love side is let out, left out, and the, uh, the, the, the justice of God is everywhere, and uh, the, the word wrath is everywhere, and that God demands holiness, and, and that you better get your act together. You know, it's, it's even found in some of the Santa narratives. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. He knows. Oh, he knows. For those of you who watch Christmas Story. All right? 
So it can go too far on the justice and the judgment of God and leave the love out. Watch out for that. If you hear that teaching coming from us, don't let us keep doing it. Uh, that, that God loves, here's the third one, God loves the world so much there's no way that there would be a, an eternal separation from God called hell. And at the end, Christ died for the whole world, and so the whole world will be saved. Well, no, that's not in the Bible. And, and it goes so far sometimes as to say, listen, God loves you so much, and God has so much authority and power that you get to he live heaven on earth. And, and everyone who's sick can be healed. And everyone who's poor can have enough. We call that prosperity theology. And you've got to go, well, no, God is talking about that for heaven. It, the promises of heaven don't happen here. They happen in heaven. Should we not pray for the sick? Of course we should pray for the sick. I'm standing here because of your prayers. But to suggest that heaven is supposed to be here is a Wolfian lie. That's pretty good. Don't you like that? I just, I just came up with that. <laughs> Wolfian lie. Ooh, I like it. Good works is all that matters. The way that you please God is through your goodness. Goodness, no. Our goodness is so far away from being goodness, it could never please God. It's not that our goodness ranks us with God. It's his goodness given to us in our, in his, in our place. That's where the good. So you can see that even in our world today, we've got to be careful. Because the first note about the ferocious wolves is that they are prophets. And if they are prophets, it means they speak and teach and write. And you better be careful. That's what Paul, uh, Jesus is saying. That's not all, though. Look at verses 16 through 20. It's very, very interesting as you, as you take a look at it. Uh, it says, uh, by their fruit you will know them. You don't pick grapes from thorn bushes and you don't pick figs from thistles. Every good tree will bear good works. I'm sorry, good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. In other words, what's he talking about? If, if the first thing we've got to watch out for is content, what the wolves are saying, the second thing you look for is character, the inner life. Be sure your sins will find you out. And Jesus actually spends more time on this thought, that it, that it isn't uh, so much about the spiritual gifts that you see, it's what kind of life do you see emanating from these people that call themselves the sheep or the Christ followers? Do you see a life that is more and more um, known by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness? Remember the Beatitudes? When we started this whole thing, Jesus gave the whole new portrait of what a godly person looks like. And not a thing of it had to do with supernatural powers. It all had to do with inner things. Poor in spirit, full of mercy, pure in heart. 
Jesus is saying, be careful what they say, but be especially careful with what they say if their lives don't depict the truth that they are suggesting. It's what goes on inside. When I was like 22 or 23, and I'd just become a Christian, and I was leading a youth ministry at a, at a church in California, and I was leading what we called the college and career groups. Uh, I was 22, 23, and I was one of that group, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and um, I still remember when a guy, and I'm not going to give his name because sermons stream today. They go everywhere. <laughs> Believe me, I know, and I know I'm cutting back 40 years here, uh, so I'm not going to use the real name, but this guy, we'll call him Michael. Boy, we really liked him. Michael was in his mid to late 30s, and he served as a volunteer counselor in our college and career groups, and all of us in our early 20s who were just about to launch and try to find out where, man, Michael was everything. First of all, he drove a Mercedes, so you got to be good if you drive a, a Mercedes. And he had a wonderful wife, and when he would tell us about his business and the deals that he was closing, it was magnificent. And yet he always had time for us to take us to lunch and do all sorts of things. We just elevated this guy to the nth degree. He could teach the Word of God, and you'd want to listen because you just saw, this is the kind of person I want to be when I grow up. When I grow up to be a man. Beach voice. All right didn't work in this group okay uh, well you know where I'm going with this pretty soon Michael didn't come around much and we didn't know why and pretty soon we heard that Michael was divorced and pretty soon that my, we heard that Michael was on the run for fraud in business associations and we realized that what we saw on the outside wasn't what was on the inside at all I thought a lot about Michael. I thought a lot about some others in our church in those days, a church of just 400, 450 people. But I could give you the names of those who appeared on the outside to be wondrous Christians, only to find out there were deep, deep, deep sins that were running their lives. Um, you know, I, I guess I would say this too. Part of the reason this is so important to me is that even in our Chicagoland region, we've had two or three of the, the top pastors that we've got in all of Chicagoland. And um, we find that there were deep chinks in their armor. And whether it's immorality or the lust for power or what it is, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And we've got, you may know, some people from these congregations, and we pray for them, and we want to be their friends. It certainly wasn't the congregations that caused these problems. It was what Jesus said. On the outside, man, could they preach. On the inside, some deep, deep brokenness that hadn't been tended to. It seems that in my profession, uh, in pastors, that, that we are very tempted by f four things. And some, some, you know, maybe it's just one of the four. Some could be all the four. But the, the, the wealth thing is certainly there. Uh, you know, if you're a big church pastor, you get paid pretty well. Um, 
That's not wrong. It's wrong if that becomes a motivation for your life. Uh, power. That's a huge one. Authority. Uh, I heard Rob say on Tuesday as we were together as pastoral staff, he says, you don't know how frightening it is. And I thought, yeah, I think I do. To have so many people that listen to you and call you good. And you know you're not, but you kind of like hearing it. Power. Fame. Sometimes it's just fame. Simon the sorcerer in the time of Philip when he goes to Samaria. Remember he was called the, the power of the great God. He was a sorcerer and he sees what Philip can do and Philip could do bigger things than he could do. And, and so he, 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 it says right in the scriptures that Simon the sorcerer followed Philip around and heard the message about the Christ and Jesus and forgiveness of sins. And it says he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and he was baptized. But very shortly later, when Peter and John show up and start doing more and more wonders, and the impartation of the Holy Spirit, Simon pulls them aside and says, I'll pay you if you can give me this power. Remember what Peter says? You are in the galls of bitterness and deep sin. Fame. Fame is the third one. And then immorality being the fourth. I, I think maybe that's not just the short, short list for pastors. It may be for all of us. One or more of those things can get at us. All I know is it's frightening. And Jesus says, look in, look in, look at the character, test the character. It is daunting that the scriptures in Hebrews say that, that your pastors are to live such a life that, that, that you would want to imitate them. Pray for us that we be noble men and that our directors and ministers are noble men and women who seek to let God do inside what we're proclaiming on the outside. You say, well, can people be forgiven? Yes, if they're thoroughly sorry, of course they can be forgiven. But don't miss this warning in verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in to the fire by their fruit you will know them it's a combination of the content of what they say as prophets and even more so the character you say well how do you protect yourself against falling deeply to sin in the inner person and 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 I, I will say to you, the, 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 the reading of the scriptures, the life of prayer, but I would say the most important thing is every Christian needs to have one other person who loves them and knows them well enough to tell them when they're blowing it. Every single one. This Friday, I'll be meeting with uh, my, I call him my soul friend. David pulls no punches with me. Absolutely not. But I know that he loves me. And so I can be authentic with him and he will be true with me and vice versa. We have been used in each other's lives over the last 25 years to save grievous sin in each of us. I think you've got to have people in your life. I think that's why life groups are so important. You know, you're not going to be that close to everybody in your life group. But if you don't have someone that close, a life group can be a place where you might find one person who will be. We are not meant to live alone. Jesus is warning us here. All right, 
Well, then that takes us. <laughs> Isn't this good news? Happy Christmas, everybody. Uh, I even wore red. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, say, oh, boy, get this over with, Lon. Uh, verses 21 to 23 to finish up this passage. And I just want to say, we ain't done yet. <laughs> Not everyone who says to me, 21 to 23, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform miracles? And then I will say to them, this is a daunting verse, verse 23, I will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What's this about? These appear to be really great people, wonderful sheep, right? With great capacities and power, spiritual gifts all over the place. They even are very passionate. Because in verse 21, when you see the term there, Lord, followed by Lord again, that, that was a way in Aramaic uh, for the repetition of a word uh, uh, connotated deep care. So it wasn't that they just said Lord. They go, Lord, Lord. Uh, when, when David's son Absalom dies and he's lamenting over the loss of his son Absalom, he goes, Absalom, Absalom. So, so these people that Jesus is speaking about here are passionate. Lord, Lord. They're really into this thing. They're really into doing what they think God wants them to do. And they call him Lord. It's not father. They don't use the term father. They use the term Lord. That's leader. That's master and commander. They seem to have it right. Do you get that in this text? They seem to have it right. But Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And they thought... They were doing that will. They were proclaiming truth. They were casting out demons. They were performing miracles in Christ's name, not in their own. They seem to be superstars. And he says to them, I never knew you. Get away from me. Have I created enough angst now? Good. That's exactly what Jesus wanted. You, you know, there are highly gifted and talented people that, that don't follow God at all. Who's notable in the 12 disciples? Judas. Judas was one of the 12. Judas was empowered to heal the sick and cast out demons, and proclaim truth. He did it for three years. But at the end, he was anti-Christ, not pro-Christ. Satan does miracles. James says even the demons believe. Our actions may not be what God is looking for. 
Martha, scattering around the house. Jesus had come. She has a sister named Mary. She wants everything to be right. It's like us on Christmas dinner. And we're so glad everyone's here and we love them so much. And, and, but we're kind of ticked they're not helping with the meal. Or the cleanup. Incidentally, now that we have adult children who do the cleanup, Christmas is a joy. All right? <laughs> Hi, sweetie. <laughs> Martha, 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 Martha. Jesus, tell, tell Mary she should be helping me. What's Mary doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet as he's teaching, and she's just being with him. What does Jesus say? Oh, Martha, you've got this thing all turned around. You thought it was trying to get everything just right and work, 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 and do, 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 and, and then that's what would please me, but... I, I would never ask Mary to do anything else except what she's doing, just being with me. And so through this, we begin to see what is Jesus talking about when he says at the end of verse 21, the will of my Father. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is doing the will of my Father. Take a look at this verse from John chapter 6, 28 and 29. It gives us a hint toward finding our way through this, this tension. Here it is. I believe we've got it up front. Yeah. What must we do to do the work the Father requires? The disciples asked Jesus. And Jesus said, the work of God is this. To believe in the one that he has sent. Notice he uses the term work there. And they just assume that approval from God has to do with doing. What, what are the good works that we must do that the Father requires? And Jesus said the work. You want to use that word work? Okay, use it. The work is just to trust me. Place your trust in me. That's the work. Really, Lon? Look at verse 23 again in our text. Then I will tell them plainly, I have this in orange, really bright, four words. Tell, I will tell them, I never knew you. You are doing all this stuff. I'm not saying it was bad stuff. But I didn't really know you. The Son of Man came that we would have relationship with him. Not be just bond servants doing his work. In fact, serving him comes out of our loving him. Serving him will never get you to him. But when you love him, when you know him, you want to serve. Uh, uh, Martin Luther said something like this. He said, good works won't save a person. But a saved person will do good works. These dear people he's pointing to, of which we can fall in the trap real quick, 
are like the seven dwarves. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. I'm pleasing Jesus every day, so off I go, I go, I go, I go. Working as I know. You know and, and, and Jesus is saying, I just want to hang out. I want to know you. If, if, if my wife, Marie, of 40 years had me at home and every day of the week I spent eight hours just fixing things and revamping things, she would love me even more because she watches all those shows. Okay, no. If, if, if that's all I did is works for her, I'd be a handyman. I wouldn't be a husband. And so, friends, as I move to conclusion here, I just want to say, Jesus says that the ferocious wolves are those who say wrong things, who lie inwardly, and who have fallen in the trap of thinking that performance is what wins the day with God. Look at this verse, John 17, 3. Jesus speaking. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Relationship. It's all about relationship. Good character Good behavior follows. Do you know Christ? He came to the earth to be with us. He sent the Spirit to live in us. Do you want to be with him or merely imitate him or utilize him? No, Lord, this Christmas, we want to know you. If you've never given yourself to Christ in the sense of asking him to forgive your sins, and enter into lifelong, eternal lifelong relationship with him. Don't miss out on that. 38 people did that in the contemporary services last Sunday. They wanted to know Christ. He wants to know you. If there are any of you here that aren't sure you do, feel free to come down afterwards. We'll have prayer counselors here. I'll be here. We'll help you give your life to Christ this very morning. Don't leave without it. Secondly, and with this, I, I close. Are you or anyone you know in danger of being a ravenous wolf? Content, character. Do you have someone who will hold you accountable and even unlock places in your life you don't even see? If not, ask for it. And finally, members. How many of you are members of our congregation? This is a word to you. Members of our church, you are to pray for your leaders and you are to keep our church on the narrow path. Pray with me now. Lord, these warnings that come to our personal lives and to the church, we receive with sobriety. For each of my brothers and sisters here, I pray that they will be a sheep and never a wolf. For our church, I pray that you will make us and keep us strong and pure and right. And most of all, Lord, for any people that are here 
that don't know that what you want is to know them. Then bring them to saving faith this very day. For I ask it in the name of God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Go in peace, everyone.